Hey, what's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? It is Friday, November 4th, 2022. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. We're back. Another great episode. Two weeks in a row getting this bad boy done on Fridays. I'm proud of myself getting back on track. Uh, we've got a lot, of talk, lot to talk about. This is episode 190, so 10 episodes away from a huge milestone of two, episode 200. Can't wait. Ways to go to get to there. But first, we've got to talk, you know, obviously the whole Kyrie Irving situation. That's all they've been talking about on sports radio for the past three or four days. The fallout from that. He's now since been suspended last night after there was uh, just clamor and, and basically uh, everybody on the radio was demanding responsibility, demanding that the NBA and the new, uh, Brooklyn Nets get involved and do something here. There had been zero discipline from Kyrie Irving uh, and from the Nets and from the NBA. And now we know the fallout of that is he has been suspended at least five games. We'll talk about that. We've got a great slate of college football games coming up this weekend. We've got to touch on that. Um, the NFL, we had a Thursday night game last night between the Eagles and the Texans, both of the cities playing in the World Series. And, of course, we've got to talk about the World Series as the Houston Astros have come back down two games to one to um, take game five, games four and five, and they now lead this series three games to two, headed back to Houston. Mattress Mac just one win away from a record-breaking $75 million win. Uh, it, it just incredible. Get to this week's NFL games uh, Sunday. Uh, just so, so, so much to get to. Recap uh, last weekend's games. Just a whole lot of, uh, of uh, sports uh, to get into. We had some incidents um, throughout the landscape of college football. So just totally uh, crazy dynamic things that are going on. So without further ado, let's just let's jump in. All right, we are starting in the college football world. We have a huge game tomorrow, but uh, let's recap. So Tennessee, they proved me wrong big time, absolutely dominated Kentucky a week ago. 44 to 6. I was highly disappointed in Kentucky, but I will say this much. This is why I'm so smart and I'm so good. I told everybody to take Kentucky at 12 and a half. When I, once this game rolled around, because obviously most people, they don't bet on the game early in the day. They're going to bet on other games that are taking place early in the day. And then they're going to um, see how those bets go and then make a decision for the games later at night. Well, by the time this game rolled around, the line dropped to, I want to say, 11 or 11 and a half. That's when I looked over and told my dad, no way, no how, can't touch this game. And I didn't. So I ended up winning money on the day because uh, I took the Ohio State Penn State over. Oh, I'm such a genius. All right. I'll get to that in just a second. But uh, so Tennessee dominating Kentucky look legit. Georgia didn't have too much trouble with Florida. They beat them 42 to 20. Uh, this is a team in Georgia that beat Oregon by 46 points. Oregon has one loss that that is the one loss. And they are now ranked eighth in the country. So, I mean, Georgia's got a great resume right now. And then, of course, Ohio State, Penn State, Ohio State improving to 8-0 after outlasting Penn State. So this is this is how this played out. If you remember a week ago, you could go back and listen. I said the over-under, it was either 70 or 70 and a half. And I, I was like, I'm, that's take that. But then I said, all right, it's kind of a little bit high. 70 is a whole lot of points. But I said, this could be a game where you want to bet this live early. What did I do, the genius that I am? Ohio State goes up 10 nothing early, and um, then Penn State comes all the way back, takes a 14-10 lead. There is about three minutes left 
when I placed the bet. The over-under dropped all the way to 59 and a half, so I jumped out. I'm like, all right, three minutes, they're going to score. And I want to say Penn State had the ball at this point. They Ohio State gets the ball back. They run all the way down the field. Ohio State used up all of its timeouts with six seconds left. They put the offense on the field and were about to go for it with six seconds left and no timeouts. And I'm thinking, man, just take the field goal and, and go into the half at this point. Uh, 14, 13, I think would have been the score, whatever it was. And you can, I clearly see, I believe Ryan day runs down the sideline trying to call a timeout, but they tell him he doesn't have a timeout. So they end up hiking the ball and blindside blitz sacked, fumbled, no points. They go into the half without scoring any points. Um, and it was just heartbreaking because I'm like, oh my God, if they get six right here, I'm golden. Uh, this over's a lock. Third quarter comes around. There's like no scoring. This game went to the fourth quarter, 16 to 14. The score was 16-14 going into the fourth quarter, and I needed 60 points scored. I mean, what a joke. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But then because college football is college football and it ain't like the pros, there is scoring left, right, and center. And when I say scoring, I mean scoring. OSU rattled off 28 points in the fourth quarter and Penn State added 17 of their own. So not only did the did my over uh, hit of 59 and a half, but the original over under the pregame uh, uh, pregame over of 70 or 70 and a half, whatever it was, that hit as well after looking like it was dead in the water. And I had thrown 50 bucks on it because uh, I had I slept really late into Saturday. I hadn't been, you know, I'd been staying up late the week before I needed my rest, right? Getting less than like six hours of sleep every night. I was like, I'm sleeping in into this from Friday into Saturday, woke up and this game had started as I'm making some breakfast and I'm like, man, 59 and a half, let's take it. So won some money there. Um, and that was, I think the only bet I made on the day, but interestingly enough, Penn state scored late, actually wound up covering the 14 and a half final being 44 to 31. All right, we've got to talk about this Michigan-Michigan State game. This is a real, this one got got ugly late. Okay, so I don't know what just happened. Something popped up on my screen that stopped the, the um, audio, but we're back on track. I'll edit that out. Uh, we're, let's get into this Michigan-Michigan State game. This is obviously a big rivalry, and it got ugly after the game in the tunnel. So Blake Corm, he's going to be a Heisman finalist, in my opinion. He he, he should be right up there. Uh, ran for 177 yards, the most by a Michigan player against Michigan State since Mike Hart had 218 in 2005. Uh, but this game was, again, it was a, there was a crazy altercation in the tunnel between both teams, um, which uh, apparently... Uh, not apparently, we know now, uh, four uh, Michigan State players assaulted, according to Jim Harbaugh, assaulted two of his players. And this is what Harbaugh had to say after, like, he was fired up. Uh, right now we have an uh, ongoing police investigation. Um, what happened in the tunnel was egregious. Uh, sickening to watch the videos, the ones that are... Uh, that are on social media right now and uh also the abc tunnel cam it's in a in a um higher elevation that shows shows much more of uh of what took place um as i said those are those are uh sickening to watch uh there needs to be accountability there needs to be a full thorough timely investigation i can't imagine that these uh, will not, in, um, uh, that they won't, I can't imagine that this will not result in criminal charges. The videos are, uh, are, uh, are bad. And um, it's clear what, what transpired. It seems uh, very, very open and shut. You know, as they say, uh, watch the tape. Um, I'm coming from this from a perspective of, uh, 
of being a parent, and these young men um, are entrusted to me by their families and to our program, and we have the responsibility to each player uh, to treat them like our own, and I take that responsibility very seriously. Um, an apology will not get the job done in this instance. Uh, there should be serious consequences uh, for the, the many individuals that are culpable. And on behalf of the 22-2022 Michigan football team, um, our players, our coaches, our staff, our university, um, this has been a very traumatic experience um, for everybody, especially uh, for uh, Jaden and Jaman. And um, we will support them. We'll support, support, support them and, uh, and their families in every possible way. Okay, so that was Jim Harbaugh's take on it. I think this was like right that same night or right after the fact. So most people when he's talking are referring to the videotapes and the ABC like, you know, uh, camera um, or tunnel vision camera, whatever, and these videos on social media. Most of these media members probably hadn't even seen these videos yet. Uh, Mel Tucker did respond. I want to say this was either the next day or two days later, and this is a little bit lengthy, and I did the best I could to clean up this audio, um, so just bear with me, but uh, it's important to hear this. All right, thank you. Uh, that's, that's everyone for being here today afternoon. Uh, I wanted to quickly uh, address the events uh, from the weekend in Ann Arbor. I did write down a couple of thoughts, um, so I'd like to share them with you as best I can. First and foremost, uh, Michigan State football is about integrity, discipline, unselfishness, toughness, and accountability. The incidents involved a, involving a small group of our players do not represent our culture. Second, I made a decision, I made a decision to suspend players based upon video evidence that was provided to me and our athletic director yesterday. The suspensions will allow the players to receive academic support and medical services, but they will not be able to attend any, any organized team activities, including meetings, practices, weight training, or games. Our entire team will be cooperating with law enforcement and the Big Ten Conference to further evaluate the events in Ann Arbor. These suspensions will remain in place until the investigation, investigations are completed. When we have a full report, I will address... Yes, yeah, so four players have been suspended. Um, there's still an active investigation going on, and if charges are going to be brought, well, you know that that will you know the police will will handle that through their investigation and such. So they took swift action. They immediately suspended the players, as you could hear uh, Mel Tucker say there. Um, they're they're going to be able to get academic support and counseling or whatever. Um, but other than that, they are done from football. They probably will be done for this season. And if I had to guess. If I had to honestly guess, I would probably say that they're going to get kicked off the team for good, maybe kicked out of Michigan State, probably have to go to a junior college, whoever these players are, um, and then a la Cam Newton, maybe, you know, go to junior college, do well there, get back on a Division One team, you know, because we're all about second chances, of course, right? So uh, their careers are not over, certainly. Uh, they could go down a bad path now, um, but... Yeah, so this was obviously serious. If you haven't seen the videos, you you can find them out there. They are they are um on Twitter and whatnot. I have seen them. Okay, TCU and Clemson. So these are the other remaining unbeaten teams 
on the outside looking in um, with Bama, Oregon, and USC all lurking with one loss. So you've got the top dogs in Tennessee, Ohio State, um, Georgia, right? Michigan. And then you've got TCU, Clemson. Those are the other two remaining unbeatens. But it's very interesting because I'll get to the CFP in just a second. Um, number 22, Kansas State, in a stunning fashion, beat Oklahoma State 48 to nothing. Oh, my God. It was Mike Gundy's worst loss in 18 seasons as head coach of Oklahoma State. Um, and I'm sure by now you've also seen the videos. His son uh, got in the game late because it was a blowout at quarterback. And his son, his hands were shaking as he was in shotgun, like waiting for, for the ball to be snapped. And, and there's, you know, there's uh, there's people captioning that video that like, oh, my God, Kansas State's defense is so scary that the quarterback is like freaking out, you know, type of stuff. But, um, yeah, just I did not see that coming. 48 to nothing. Yikes. Uh, we had number 10, Wake. They turned the ball over an astounding eight times in the second half. Oh, my God. You think that's bad? They turned it over six times in the third quarter in an eventual 48-21 really bad loss to Louisville. And talk about bad, Texas A&M continues to implode upon itself. They have now fallen to 3-5 and five and 1-4 and four in the SEC with their 31-28 loss to number 15 Ole Miss. This after they just lost a close one to South Carolina. Yikes. Uh, in other news, Auburn fired their head coach Brian Harson on Monday, which isn't very surprising. However, what is surprising is the timing of it, so bear with me here. They waited until hiring an athletic director, which we now know is John Cohen, whom they just poached from Mississippi State on Monday, before firing Harson. Um, if you don't know, Harson was hired less than two years ago after Auburn canned Gus Malzahn, and in those last two years, it's been an abject failure. Um, his overall record is... Uh, I thought I had his record here. It is not, it was not good, um, in his two years there, but in the last two years alone now, the school will have paid $36 million to Harson and Malzahn not to not coach at Auburn. It, it's just unbelievable. Uh, Cadillac Williams will serve as interim head coach this week against, yep, you guessed it, Mississippi State. So yeah, that won't be awkward for, uh, for Mr. John Cohen there, who basically just left uh, Mississippi State to come serve in the same role at Auburn. It's funny how those things work themselves out. And now we can talk about the first college football playoff rankings that came out. Uh, I don't at all agree with this. I think the top three are fine. Um, I don't know about the order per se, but you've got Tennessee at one, Ohio State at two, Georgia three, and Clemson snuck in there at number four. Uh, personally, I think Michigan should be in there over Clemson, but uh, obviously it's only the first week. No need to overreact. These things will sort themselves out eventually because Ohio State and Michigan will play in just a short, in just a few short weeks anyway. So obviously one of those teams will get knocked out of contention anyway. Um. So yeah, very, very interesting rankings there. And then of course you've got Tennessee and Georgia playing each other tomorrow. So we'll see, we'll see how this this pans out. And then quickly, I'll update you, give you a couple, obviously, the Tennessee-Georgia game. Duh. We've got, uh, got number five, Michigan is at Ruck, my Rutgers uh, tomorrow. Rutgers got blanked 31-0 to Minnesota. This spread is just 25-and-a-half. Yes, Rutgers is at home, but they are awful. One of the worst offensive teams in the country, if not the worst. Um, any other big matchups? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Not really. Doesn't look like anybody's really playing each other. Clemson, Notre Dame, that could be a good game tomorrow night on NBC at 730. You've got 21 Wake Forest um, against 22 NC State. Both of those teams are 6-2. and two. Probably could be looking at a New Year's Six Bowl for one of those teams um, if they if they win that game and then uh, stay with just two losses there. Uh, number 12, UCLA. They're taking on Arizona State at 1030. And uh, you've got USC also at 1030 tomorrow night. I probably won't be watching those games. But yeah, there's only one matchup of um, 
of of ranked teams tomorrow. And then you've got Mississippi uh, or Ole Miss on a bye sitting at 8-1, and one, your 11th ranked team in the country. So nothing too crazy. Obviously, the big one is Georgia and Tennessee. Those are two big uh, ranked teams. That game will be on at 3.30. Although, why is it not showing up here? 3.30. That's weird. Oh yeah, there it is. Tennessee, Georgia. I just skipped over it. Okay, so yeah. Let's let's get into the NFL now. All right, before I get to obviously the Thursday night game, let's just recap a little bit figure out how we got here. The Eagles notched another victory over the Steelers to improve to 7 and 0. I lost f- my fifth in a row in fantasy, went from 2 and 1, I'm now 2 and 6 and I lost for one reason. Yeah, A.J. Brown recorded not one, not two, but three touchdowns in the game. Just ridiculous. The Bills also won again, this time dispatching the Packers, who have now lost four in a row. It's quite shocking what's happened to like the likes of the Packers, the Rams, the Buccaneers. Just unbelievable. Uh, Josh Allen threw two bad interceptions late in this game, and it cost betters big time because the Packers managed to sneak by and cover the 10.5, losing by 10 exactly. Uh, just a bad beat right there if you bet on that 10.5 uh, for the for the bills. Um, I was on this. I was on the Packers at the 10 and a half. I didn't bet it, but uh, I did call it. So um, I'm proud of myself for that one. The 49ers showed that they, they're going to be tough to beat um, and just how scary they are now that they added a guy of CMC's caliber, Christian McCaffrey. He did it all on Sunday. He threw for a touchdown. He ran for another and he caught a third becoming the first player since LaDainian Tomlinson in 2005 to throw, catch, to throw, uh, catch, and rush for a touchdown in the same game. Lost in all of this is the fact that the Rams, I just said it, are really bad. I mean, they were coming off a bye and still lost 31-14, and the 49ers were without Debo Samuel. Yikes. Raise your hand if you call it the Falcons sitting in first place in the NFC South. They are now 4-4 four and four after one of the most unlikely victories in recent memory. We thought the Bucks losing to the Carolina Panthers was bad. Well, the Falcons played the Panthers, and the final seconds of this game played out like a freaking movie. What do I mean by that? Well, with about 20-something seconds, I think it was 23 seconds left, This somehow happened. Walker on first down. This, mind you, with the Panthers down six. Moving to his left. And now Walker fires downfield. Looking for DJ Moore. Oh, Oh it's a diving catch from Panthers. Touchdown. Wow. 62 yards. Carolina has tied the game. lost in all of that in the video you can see dj moore took his helmet off in celebration of that touchdown that was about to win them the game pending the extra point well he took his helmet off to celebrate warranting a flag a penalty was thrown unsportsmanlike backed the field the extra point way back and eddie pinheiro i think it was Misses the extra point with 12 seconds left. They would have won the game. Misses the extra point. We go to overtime. He misses another short field goal, and the Falcons end up winning it on the leg of Youngway Koo to improve to four and four. Just unbelievable. No fun league. Shouldn't have thrown a flag there. Okay. Is it possible the Raiders are the most disappointing team in the NFL this season? For a while, at the beginning of the year, I was saying it was the Colts. Then they they looked pretty good beating the Chiefs, but they've been really up and down. Um, the Raiders. New coach and Josh McDaniels went to the playoffs last year, figured they're going to get get it right. They added Devontae Adams, and they've somehow gotten worse. I mean, they're right up there with the Broncos as the, the most disappointing teams this year. You might actually probably put the Broncos just slightly ahead of the Raiders here, but this had to be have been rock bottom. 
um, playing a two and five Saints team with Andy Dalton at quarterback and no Michael Thomas, no Jarvis Landry. The Saints pounded the Raiders to the tune of 24 to nothing. Vegas drops now to two and six on the season. Their season's over. Uh, it, it's so incredibly crazy how this team could be so much worse after adding Devontae Adams and adding Josh McDaniels. Um, and Devontae Adams, man, this guy has single-handedly ruined two franchises now. Now, I'm not obviously blaming him for what's going on with the Raiders. It's not his fault. He's done his job. But if he, he he's ruined the Packers. They're no good without him. And now the Raiders are, are, are just terrible with him. So it's like, what gives, man? This is like... I'm living in a, in the upside-down world because everything is insane. You've got now the Seahawks. They they beat up on the Giants by two touchdowns. I, I mean, is this real life? You have Geno Smith and the Seahawks sitting in first place in the NFC West at 5-3. and three. It, It's incredible. They traded away Russell Wilson, their Super Bowl-winning quarterback, for a 10-year... Like has been journeyman quarterback in Geno Smith, and they're five and three and in first place, and he's played like one of the five best quarterbacks in the league. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. Oh, and by the way, if you ask players on Seattle, they might just tell you that uh, Russell Wilson was the problem. Tyler Lockett spoke after the win, and he said, "Quote: It's amazing what we can accomplish when nobody cares who gets the credit." I mean, this has to be a, sh a direct shot at Russell Wilson, right? Right? Definitely. All right, uh, let's talk about that 2021 first-round quarterback class. We had Trevor Lawrence go number one. We had Zach Wilson go number two. Trey Lance went three. Um, we had Mac Jones in there. We had Justin Fields at 11. Mac Jones was like, what, around the 15, 16, something like that, right? Well, of all those quarterbacks, only Mac Jones won Sunday, and that's obviously because he was playing the Jets and Zach Wilson. Trey Lance has only played 221 snaps. He's obviously out for the year after breaking his foot or leg or whatever. Combined between Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones, they are just 31 and 56 combined win-loss record. And guess what? The second best passer rating among full-time starters from that draft class belongs to third rounder Davis Mills, who, mind you, plays on a very bad Texans team. But after what I saw last night, the guy's solid. I, you could win with plug him into the Jets right now, and they they could have won on Sunday and beat the Patriots. I mean, he is not a bad guy player, and he is on a terrible team. Uh, let's jump in, talk Monday night football. The Browns, for some reason, just have the Bengals number. This is just unbelievable. Uh, I believe they've now beat them eight of the last nine times they've played. The Bengals have major issues, uh, major issues, and I'm sorry. Yes, the loss of Jamar Chase is a big deal, but this goes well beyond that. They may be the worst running football team in the league, and it's not even Joe Mixon's fault. Joe Mixon is a good player. That O-line is awful. It's awful. I, I I just don't understand. Joe Mixon's averaging like three yards a carry on the season. And he he kept catching like checkdowns from, from Joe Burrow that were going for like one or two yards or no yard. And they were getting blanked through much of three quarters of this game against a bad Browns team. I don't understand it. Hey, I'm happy the Browns won because it actually helps out my Jets because the Jets fuck the Jets friggin' laid an egg uh, against the Patriots, dropping to five and three when we should be six and two. So that loss for the Bengals, since the Bengals beat us head to head, that keeps us one game ahead of the Bengals there in in the wild card race. So that that makes me happy. Uh, but wow, wow, the Bengals. I'm really interested to see what they could do this week. Uh, the big news surrounding the NFL was Tuesday's trade deadline, and we saw a record 10 trades alone on Tuesday. Uh, but here are some of the big ones. Um, let's see. Uh, the big ones here, we've got 
The Bears traded a second rounder for Chase Claypool. That was a bit surprising. I don't know if that's necessarily a, a good move for, for the Bears. The Vikings traded for TJ Hawkinson. That is a hugely underrated move. Huge, huge move for the Vikings who, you know, Kirk Cousins throwing to the tight ends ranks in the bottom five or so in the league. So and then uh, we found out Irv Smith is going to miss like eight weeks with a high ankle sprain deal thing he's got going on. So uh, big pickup, big pickup for the Vikings. You've got the Dolphins hitting a home run. They made a huge trade for Bradley Chubb and then inked him to a new five year deal worth one hundred ten million. I believe this could get. Um, upwards of 100 and to, to 112, 115 million or so uh, with incentives and such. The Bills added Naheem Hines. The Jaguars traded. This is another underrated move. The Jaguars traded for Calvin Ridley. This is a move about the future. Uh, Calvin Ridley is suspended for this entire season, um, and he's missed the last two years now. He stepped away from football for mental health reasons or personal reasons two years ago. Then this upcoming season, uh, this season now, he was actually suspended for, guess what, betting on NFL games. Uh, he can apply for reinstatement after the year, which obviously I'm, I'm assuming the Jaguars are assured he will be granted. Otherwise, they wouldn't have traded for him. Okay, I'm not going to get into all the other uh, small trades um, that were made, like Jeff Wilson going to Miami and, and some other ones. Um, okay, former 49ers general manager and five-time Super Bowl winner John McVay died at the age of 91. McVay, best known for drafting Joe Montana and turning the 49ers from a two-win uh, team to a Super Bowl dynasty. And if you recognize the name McVay, yes, he is the grandfather of Rams head coach Sean McVay. In all, McVay, unbelievable front office man, credited with acquiring 50 all-pro players and 41 pro bowlers during his time in San Francisco. Just incredible. Um, some other news, Dan Snyder announced on Wednesday that he would consider a sale of the commanders after previously saying he would never sell the team, but... Um, Interesting note here. He bought the team in 1999 for 800 million. And now Forbes has the team valued at 5.6 billion. So even if you won tomorrow's $1.6 billion lottery, you wouldn't even have a fraction of what it would cost to buy the Washington Commanders should they go up for sale, which is just incredible. And obviously, if you win the Powerball, all those taxes that the government takes, you're taking home not $1.2 billion, not a billion, not even half a million dollars. And I live in New Jersey, so it's just even less. It's, it's awful. Some disappointing news to report. Michael Thomas is done for the, likely done for the season. So Dennis Allen previously said he expects him to play again this season and yada, yada, yada. And then, of course, yesterday comes and we find out Michael Thomas is going on IR and will undergo surgery on his stupid turf toe. And now he will likely miss the rest of the year. This on top of him missing all of last year for an ankle injury. Um, he has now played, ladies and gentlemen, in just 10 games over three NFL seasons since setting that coveted single-season receptions record with 149 catches in 2019. It's just incredible. Two of the last three years, I've drafted him in fantasy, and it's no coincidence that this year and that year, um, I'm not going to make the playoffs. It's unbelievable. Uh, I was banging. He, he was so good the first two weeks or so, and then he got hurt, obviously, midway through the third game, but just unbelievable a guy like brian robinson got shot multiple times and recovered and has played in multiple games and here you have michael thomas turf toe is ending his season it's just incredible it's absolutely incredible all right thursday night football action last night we had the obviously while the world series was going on Two teams from those same two cities were playing in the NFL. The Texans hosting the Eagles at home yesterday as 14-point underdogs. Um, that did seem like a big number. 
But when Brandon Cooks was ruled out, I knew this game was untouchable. And I was leaning towards Eagles at 14 with Brandon Cooks out. But then I said, man, look what's happened to some of these other teams like the Panthers. They're playing hard after some trades. They're saying, hmm, you're trading away all our players. And that means, you know, you think we're, we're not going to be able to cover the spread or you don't think we're good. And then they go out there and they play their asses off and they cover the spread. And that's what happened last night. Start of this game, Texans get the ball to kick things off. They literally marched down the field with ease and scored a touchdown. And it was like, oh boy. And I almost took the first half spread of seven and a half in favor of the Eagles because my buddy that is an Eagles fan said that was the bet. Almost did it. I literally had it in my bet slip and I didn't press submit, thankfully, because it didn't hit. And obviously, um, you know, the Eagles didn't uh, cover the spread. They end up winning this game 29 to 17 in the end. We had some Brandon Cooks drama. Of course, I said he didn't play. He was pissed he didn't get traded. So I don't know if he's just refusing to play now or what, but they held him out of this game. And Lovey Smith wanted nothing to do we uh, wanted to answer no questions about Cooks after the game. Um, yeah, it's it's a mess. I don't know what's going on. There's reports that they tried to trade him, but they wanted too much. They wanted teams to eat some of his salary or all of the $18 million he's owed. Just just not good. So Eagles improving to 8-0 and for the first time in franchise history, they outscored the Texans 15-3 to because this game was knotted up at 14 apiece going into the half. Texans getting outscored 15-3 to in the second half. Wow. Uh, something cool to, to, uh, to announce uh, that got unveiled earlier this week, The Rock showcasing, uh, showing us a glimpse of the XFL, the newly minted reboot of the former XFL. We have some ch some lineup changes now. Uh, we now have the Guardians, who were formerly of New York. They have since moved to Orlando. So we have the, the new Orlando Guardians. Um, the Vipers are moving from Tampa Bay to Vegas. And the Seattle Dragons are now the Seattle Sea Dragons. Uh, we also added a team, the San Antonio Brahmas, which apparently, from what I heard, uh, refers to a type of cattle. The only team name to fully drop out from the 2020 uh, XFL iteration is the LA Wildcats. Um, but I'm actually very excited for this iteration of the league. I hope it's entertaining. I hope it can coexist with the NFL. It would give us that nice void in the springtime or so uh, uh, when we don't have football, and I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. All right, let's dive in, talk World Series. All right, Phillies were absolutely on fire in Game 3. This thing knotted up at one game apiece, and the Phillies just came out on fire after that, uh, after that rain out on Monday, I believe. Um, yeah, Bryce Harper, he got things going in the first inning with his two-run homer. You also had Alec Bohm, Brandon Marsh, Kyle Schwarber, and Reese Hoskins homering off Lance McCullers. Count it, that's five guys, all hitting home runs off the same starting pitcher. It ended up being a 7 nothing victory for the Philadelphia Phillies. And as it turns out, it is possible McCullers was tipping his pitches. I've heard a couple varying um, takes on this. Uh, I saw a TikTok video. There was a sequence as well with the Fox broadcast picking up. Uh, right away, they saw Bryce Harper after his home run. He was screaming for Alec Bohm's attention in the on-deck circle. He comes over and he appears to whisper something in his ear. And then eventually when Alec Bohm gets up to the plate, uh, there were two outs at that point in the first inning, so he didn't get his chance to hit. He comes up in the top, uh, bottom half of the second inning, and he smacks a home run. So they're like, oh, whatever Bryce Harper told him must have worked. Well, five guys hit home runs, so did he, did he tell them all the same thing? No, and more than likely, McCullers was doing something, tipping his pitches some way, somehow. So what I saw um, on TikTok is that McCullers was lifting his knee uh, his leg kick was much higher on his breaking stuff and much lower on his fastballs and such. Uh, but then I heard another varying uh, theory uh, that from Ken Rosenthal on Fox that McCullers all year threw, I think, 29 um, fastballs or 29, whatever the number was. Let me go back and look. Um, let's see. 
because I was texting back and forth about this. Yeah, McCullers wasn't uh, tipping his pitches according to um, according to Ken Rosenthal. Um, he only threw 29 fastballs to lefties in the regular season. That's limited number of starts because he came back at the end of the season. And in his two previous playoff starts, he threw only one fastball to a lefty. So, yeah, in a matter of speaking, he was tipping his pitches because the lefties were going up there saying, okay, I'm not getting a fastball. And Bryce Harper went up there and, and you know, you heard John Smoltz say it. If I were if I were Harper, I'd go up here looking for a first pitch curveball and he swatted it over the, uh, you know, into into the right field bleachers. Uh, stands there for a home run. So in a matter of speaking, yes, that's tipping his pitches. The video I saw, it was evident that his leg kick was much higher on the off-speed stuff and lower on the fast stuff. So very interesting note there um, with McCullers. So they blank him 7-0, get the job done. And then we had game four. And game four was actually quite shocking, and I'm still trying to pick my jaw up off the ground. I was doing a podcast for TTR through the ringer and I was watching this game in the background and I didn't have sound on and I didn't quite understand or realize what was going on. This game was very close into the, um, into the fifth inning. It was, I believe Aaron Nola versus Christian Javier and Christian Javier ends up throwing out dueling him six, no hit innings. And combined with three Houston relievers, they threw the second no-hitter in World Series history, the other being Don Larson's perfect game in the 1956 World Series. There was one other no-hitter in the playoffs, in playoff history, and that was Roy Halladay when he was with the Phillies. He no-hit the Cincinnati Reds 4-0 in 2010 in the NLDS. Who was the manager of the Reds at the time? Dusty Baker. Just the significance of that is wild. Just wild. Um, after that no-hitter, I thought the Phillies, they win the game 7-0. They hit five home runs. I'm thinking they're going to win this World Series. And then to come off of that and get no-hit the next night, Christian Javier, I don't think, has given up a hit in the playoffs. Uh, he no-hit the Yankees through four and a couple, uh, and and a third or two-thirds or five innings, whatever it was. And now he no-hits the Phillies through six. It's just unbelievable. Um, so for them to come off a 7 nothing shellacking and then get no-hit, very disturbing going into game five. And unfortunately, this thing has taken a turn. Um, the Astros would squeak by with a 3 to 2 victory. They have now won two in a row, headed back to Houston. They're just one game away. How did we get here? They took an early one nothing lead in the first inning. Jose Altuve hits a smoke shot off Syndergaard into uh right center. Kareem's around there. Uh Karim's around and he gets uh into third with a triple. What did Rob Thompson do with um Jeremy uh, with with Pena when he came up the two batter he brought the infield in with no outs in the first inning I don't know if I've ever seen that at, at any level let alone the major league level I mean what kind of message does that send your team coming off a no hitter in which you got you just got embarrassed bringing your infield in in the first inning with no outs especially sends the message that we have to cut off this run if this run scores we're gonna lose. And I think that was a bad precedent to set. To set, And I, th I'm not saying that led to them losing this game, but wow. Um, they did get out of the inning just allowing that one run. Pena did hit a single up the middle because the infield was in. Otherwise, it would have been a ground out. The run still would have scored regardless. Um, but wow. Uh, it didn't take long. Schwarber hit a home run in the bottom of the first. Uh, just a rocket. Um Short porch type of shot, just a line drive, got out in a hurry off Verlander. It was 1-1 for a while. Um, and then Pena, of course, he is going to win MVP of this series. It's unbelievable. 25-year-old rookie out of the University of Maine. Just wild story. Um, he gives them the 2-1 lead. 
they would take a 3-1 lead. They scored one late, I think, in like the seventh or eighth inning. I think it was the eighth inning. Uh, Justin Verlander was not sharp by any means. He walked a season-high four batters, but he did strike out six. And unfortunately, the Phillies stranded 12 runners. They could not get any of those uh, walks to come around and score. And most of the time, if somebody walks four runner, four batters, they're going to come around to eventually score and haunt you. But the Phillies stranded 12. They were one for seven with runners in scoring position. Uh, just not not good by any stretch of the imagination. Um, we had a close call in the uh, ninth inning with Ryan Presley on the hill. JT Real Muto came up with, I believe, one out. Went the other way. That's the stroke. And this play right there. I mean, the degree of difficulty, and it's a double or triple. But JT stays on the ball, and it looks like for a moment... That's going to be trouble. Unbelievable play for the Astros' defense at first base and now in center field. For the Philly kid who grew up coming to games here. Two Just absolutely unbelievable catch. It wasn't going to be a home run, but much like Altuve's hit in the first inning, if he misses that ball up against the wall there, um, it's going to carry him around, and you never know. He could get to third with now Bryce Harper coming to the plate with just one out and being, you know, and um, standing there as the tying run. Um, Bryce Harper, obviously that didn't happen. That was the second out. Harper walked, and then uh, I believe Castellanos, you know, uh, ended things because I the game was... Didn't end until after 11.30, so I went to bed at that point, knowing their best chance was in the eighth inning when they when they got one run. Um, finally, they got a hit with runners in scoring position, and that was with two outs, I believe, when Gene Secura had a base hit to right field that scored one. They had runners on the corners, and um, then there was a ground out to first base that ended ended um, any hope of uh, of getting more runs there. So yeah, this series heads back to Houston tomorrow, off day today for travel. Uh, Houston will probably win tomorrow and end this thing. Mattress Mac will win the most money ever um, in sports betting history, $75 million. All right, let's talk NBA. Here we go. I'm not I'm not getting deep in deeply involved in this uh, because I'm just over it. I've heard it. Um, every day this week on the radio, all I've heard is stuff about Kyrie Irving. So here we go. The Nets are a complete freaking disaster. They fired Steve Nash earlier in the year. Uh, Ben Simmons is now hurt. And now we have the latest with the fallout from Kyrie Irving. So here's what I'm, my take on this. Here's what happened. Kyrie Irving. Okay. I don't know when this was. Uh, he has 17 million followers on his social media platforms between Twitter and Instagram, I believe. And at some point, Tuesday night, or I don't know when this was, Sunday night, whatever it was. I know he said it was at night. He was scrolling through Amazon. I guess he's been doing some reading about uh, whatever, something called Yahweh or whatever. I don't want to sound insensitive because I don't know what this stuff is, but he was searching it and this documentary comes up on Amazon. Now, here's what I will say. I don't think Kyrie Irving actually watched it. And what else? I know he said he watched it, but what happened was he saw this film on there and I think he 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 linked to it. He posted it on his platforms and he he posted the link to it. Now this documentary is basically gobbledygook conspiracy crap saying the Holocaust never existed and just all this anti-Semitic hate, right? So he's essentially promoting it. Um, although he's like, I didn't promote it. I didn't say, you know, I believe everything that's in it, yada, yada, yada. So he eventually deletes the post. Um and the Nets, for the most part, were very quiet on the matter. The NBA certainly didn't say anything or step in. And we've got a Jewish commissioner. People were floored that, like, how is he letting this stand? He's not saying anything. Okay, then on Tuesday, yeah, I said I said Steve Nash got was fired. Coming off a win on Monday night, Steve Nash just out of nowhere, fired. Just crazy. And there's swirling rumors that the Nets are now going to hire Ime Udoka from the Boston Celtics, the coach of the Celtics that was just suspended for a year a couple months ago for having um, an inappropriate relationship with a colleague. Uh, it's just, it's it's incredible. The same Ime Udoka who served as an assistant under Steve Nash just a couple of years ago um, 
it, it's it's bizarre. Uh, they're den- Sean Marks denied it. They haven't named a new coach yet. Uh, it, it's everything's incredible. But back to Kyrie Irving and the Nets. Um, they both issued uh, a joint statement taking some responsibility. The statement, uh, alongside the Anti-Defamation League, or ADL, denounced all forms of hatred and oppression. Again, this in response to the link of the, to the film that Kyrie posted a week ago. Um, Irving and the Nets also announced that they would be do- each donating $500,000 to causes and organizations that quote, work to eradicate hate and intolerance. They were going to work with the ADL to find these charities and organizations. Then we had the events of last night unfold, and it's two, It's twofold. The Nets issued a statement announcing that they are suspending Kyrie Irving for no less than five games. So what happened was yesterday, Kyrie Irving at practice spoke to the media. He refused to apologize. He was saying things um, such as, how can I be anti-Semitic when I know where I fr- where I'm from? Um, which, to clarify, what that means is he kept saying that, and he wouldn't he wouldn't say that. No, I'm not. He wouldn't give straight answers. He just kept saying, "I can't be anti-Semitic when I know where I come from." Meaning, the first, what that means is, the first Jews or Jewish people were, were black. You know, everybody comes from Africa, right? That, that's where our, all our ancestors eventually, everything eventually flows through Africa. So yes, technically the first Jews on this planet were, were African-Americans. So that's what he means by that. But he would not, he refused to say publicly, I am sorry, because he's not sorry. And again, I truly don't believe he watched the film. Maybe he watched snippets of it or went back later and watched it. But I think he just, he just, uh, you know, Posted the link to this film because like, oh, this came up. This is, you know, has to do with what I'm interested in right now. And and I don't think he actually watched it. And, you know, he doesn't want to admit that he didn't watch it because that would, you know, that would show that he, you know, is wrong. And he's not this scholarly person that, that he wants everybody to believe he is. Okay, so the Nets said that Kyrie Irving is unfit, quote, unfit to be associated with the team after refusing to apologize. Um, The ADL, Anti-Defamation League, also said they don't want his money because he wouldn't apologize. They they refused to take his money. Okay, so Kyrie, upon being suspended late last night, finally took to Instagram and issued a written apology in a post. Um, I'm not going to get into what it said, but he did say the words, I'm sorry. Uh, the damage is already done. He should have done this yesterday, early yesterday, uh, but he didn't. And it remains to be seen how the Nets can truly overcome this. Is it five games? Is it more than five games? I'm hearing now that Kyrie uh, didn't respond to a text from owner Joe Sy, and I guess that's what prompted all this, you know, the suspension and whatnot. And now you've got what we're hearing Adam Silver is going is flying in and he's going to personally speak with Kyrie Irving. So could this be a punishment handed down from the league? I don't know. I'm just over it. I don't want to play clips from Kyrie Irving. I don't want to play, you know, clips of Kevin Durant just being pounded with questions about this right now. Um, of course, you've got NBA action going on. The Nets are playing uh, two games on the road. The next two games on the road, they won't have Ben Simmons. Uh, Steph Curry, I'm seeing, is now out. Great. Um, let's see. I got to make some changes to my lineup real quick, if possible, because, okay, there we go. Um, hopefully Anthony Edwards plays, and I'll be locked and loaded. But, yeah, uh, the Nets are playing right now. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I think they're playing right now. Yeah, the Nets are playing the Wizards right now. They're currently up 30 to 26. But the the Nets as a team right now are a complete joke. Jacques Vaughn sitting in as interim. Uh it, it's it, it's classic. It, it's it, it, it's so bad. I don't even know how. Like I'm just get I'm just numb to everything. I was shocked that Steve Nash was fired. My dad called that one. I just didn't think it would come on the heels of a victory. Like it's just so weird. Like they could have fired him when they started one and five or whatever the hell they started, right? But they waited till after a win. Like they waited till Tuesday's trade deadline in the NFL as if they were going to sneak this new this bit of news in. I just don't quite understand it. Um, I'm just ready for, to move on from this whole thing. Hire Ime Udoka already. Let that blow over and let's start winning some games. Get Kyrie Irving back. Like, I, I, what are we doing? 
we we can't win without him. And obviously, you know, he, I I don't I don't know. This team is a this team is in a bad way right now. But thankfully, we're not the Lakers. So. Okay, we've got a good slate of uh, games this weekend. 8-0 Tennessee versus 8-0 Georgia, obviously. It's number one in the college football playoff poll versus number one in the AP poll. You've got Tennessee's SEC-leading offense versus Georgia's SEC-leading defense. See the push and pull of that. We all know how dominant Georgia has been, right? Last handful of years coming off a national championship, et cetera, et cetera. But this Tennessee team is having its best season since 99 uh they already beat alabama and hendon hooker looks like the heisman favorite yet somehow the spread is seven and a half in favor of georgia to me that's a bit too high so i'm taking the vols yes sir uh tomorrow night you've got game six uh phillies at astros 803 p.m should the phillies win we will see a game seven sunday um at the same time 803 on fox You've got the Bills at the Jets at 1 p.m. Jets are huge home dogs. I think it's like it started at 12 and a half. It might be down to 11 now. Um, I think it's still high, very high, even though the Jets looked miserably awful against the Patriots. I expect them to get back to running the ball a little bit more. I don't think there's going to be, I don't think Corey Davis is playing in this game. I think I got an alert during this show that he was ruled out. Um, so let's see. If we can get some more Denzel Mims action, he caught a couple passes for 50-plus yards or so. Elijah Moore didn't catch a single pass. He was asked about his relationship with Zach Wilson, and he said, I don't know, man. I don't even get the ball. So just a disaster there. You've got the Chargers at the Falcons. Atlanta's in first place, right? Chargers coming off a bye. Um but the Chargers are in a bad way. No Keenan Allen, no Mike Williams. Austin Eckler was added to the injury report. Um, I'm desperate for Justin Herbert to break out of this slump that he's in. He has not been good. That offense has not looked good. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, Chargers are th three or four point favorites, uh, three and a half maybe, and I kind of want to lean with them even with all the injuries. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got some, what other games we've got in the NFL. It's a good slate this week. Week nine, um, Dolphins and uh, Bears hosting the Dolphins. Dolphins four-point favorites. Last week, I parlayed the Cowboys uh, minus 10 or so, or I think I dropped it to nine and a half. No, I dropped it to six and a half, and I took Dolphins minus four, and the Dolphins pushed. So I ended up actually only profiting $28. Uh, I should have profited $100, but, you know, that hook. If it was at three and a half, I would have been golden. You got Bengals, Panthers. Bengals look so bad on Monday night. This spread is seven and a half. I know the Panthers are not a good team, but they fight and they play hard. So give me the Panthers at plus seven and a half. Lions hosting the Packers. Lions have lost five in a row. Packers have lost four in a row. Packers are three and a half point favorites. I'm jumping on the Lions here at home. This could be a money line play. Patriots hosting the Colts. Patriots are six point favorites. Second week of Sam Ellinger, but unfortunately, Jonathan Taylor is out. So give me the Patriots to cover, although I'm not confident on that. Uh, Washington hosting the Minnesota Vikings. Is there any team that, that's that been more impressive than the Vikings that's getting like little to no love? I mean, they're six and one. Um, it's incredible. Incredible. Uh, you've got the Washington has quietly rattled off what three three wins in a row since they went to Heineke. Um, you know, it, it's been impressive what they've done. They've rattled off three three in a row. Uh, this could be one of those games. It's sitting at three. Vikings favored. This could be one of those plays, man, where the Washington Commanders sneak away with a win. Uh, but just solely based on you know um, what I've seen all year and what I believe, uh, Vikings should cover the three here. Next up, a game I don't care for one bit. You've got the two and six Jaguars hosting the two and five Raiders. Do you do you guys remember after week two when Trevor Lawrence they had that big upset win, right? They they had that huge upset win. Um, excuse me, in week three against the Chargers where they beat them thirty eight to ten. They got to two and one after beating the the Colts the week before and a tough, hard-fought loss against Washington in week one. And Trevor Lawrence said, I think it's time for you guys to acknowledge or that we are a pretty good team. All the Jaguars have done since Trevor Lawrence made that statement is lose five in a row. 
five in a row since then. So they're not a good team. The Raiders got blanked against a bad Andy Dalton-led Michael Thomas-less Saints team. So uh, Raiders are two-point favorites here. I don't know how you pick this game, so just steer clear of it. Uh, next up, you've got the Cardinals at home against the 5-3 and three Seattle Seahawks. I'm still not ready to anoint the Seahawks uh, the crown in this division. I think they've been a great story. They're going to Arizona. Arizona's got uh, Hopkins back. He's looked great in his two appearances. Um, I'm actually going to bet this game. I'm going to take the Cardinals, you know, with the two points. I actually really like this one um, in week nine. Next, we've got two incredibly good teams or what we thought were good teams, a Super Bowl, a winner from a year ago at the last two Super Bowl winners, the Buccaneers and the Rams. And both teams are under 500. Cooper Cup's a little banged up. He should play. They're working Cam Akers back in. They didn't want to trade him, apparently, um, after he was on the outs. Uh, Buccaneers at home, they are favored by three. I'm tending to lean towards the Bucs here. But again, shoot up, uh, shootout. This is going to be a toss up. Both of these teams have not been good of late. You've got the Chiefs at home against the Titans. This is your 820 vehicle, your your Sunday night football. Uh, no Tannehill again. Yes, both these teams are 5-2, and two, but Malik Willis, man, if you watched him last week, he ain't ready. He ain't ready. They only won because they just turned around and handed the ball to Derrick Henry. They're going to have to do a lot more of than that if they want to beat the Chiefs. This spread is at 12.5. Seems high, but give me the Chiefs. And then finally... Uh, Monday night, we've got the Ravens on the road hosting the New Orleans Saints. Ravens are two and a half point favorites. I think, uh, yeah, that hasn't ha that line hasn't moved. Uh, I really want to jump on that. Um, look at Andy Dalton's record in prime time. It is not good. Uh, the Saints coming off a big somehow victory uh, that nobody saw coming over the Raiders. They're they're decimated with injuries, et cetera. Uh, Ravens are still a five and three team. They're still a good team. And the fact that this spreads only two and a half, yowza. I'm jumping all over the Ravens, all over them. That's my that's my lock of the week. All right, guys, that's just gonna just about going to wrap this episode up. Um, let's see. Uh, you know. Hopefully we get a good we get a good um episode us uh, episode we get a good game between Tennessee and and Georgia. I really hope it's not like that Tennessee Kentucky game because that would just drive me nuts. Oh, look at this ESPN stats and info. As I digress, the Nets' thirty eight points in the first quarter tonight are their most in any quarter this season. Shocker! Did that without Ben Simmons, without Kyrie Irving. Um, wow. That's a bit shocking. Yeah, that just popped up. Um, let's see. I don't think I mentioned this, but yesterday, Justin Verlander picked up his first win in nine career World Series starts. No pitcher had started more World Series games before his first uh, World Series victory. Um, also, if you haven't seen it, Taco Fall is playing over in China and he looks like Wilt Chamberlain. So go check out that video. I don't know if I have an on this date in sports. Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. This is the beauty of having a live show. So. Um, let's see. It's from a couple days ago. Um, let's see. Let's see. Wow. This is interesting. Um, doesn't appear that I have anything. Uh, there's a really nothing on tonight either. If you were wondering, no world series tonight, there's a couple college games. You got Duke and Boston college playing right now. Um, let's see. Yeah. Duke and Boston college. It's 10, seven. You got Connecticut and UMass, and then you got Washington, Oregon State. That's that's a decent game. Twenty three, number twenty three, Oregon State goes on the road to take on Washington. Both those teams are six and two. Let's see. Yeah, I don't think I have anything. Uh, this is quite shocking. Um, let's see. I gotta find something. All right. If I don't have anything, uh, I will just wrap this thing up, but I'll find something. Let's see. 
1959, Ernie Banks won his second consecutive NL MVP. 1953, new baseball balk rule gives the batter option of accepting the outcome of the pitch or the balk. Well, needless to say, that's not still in effect. That's interesting. Uh, 1951, New York Giants and New York Yankees score back-to-back touchdowns on kickoff returns. Excuse me, that would be the New York Yanks. Um, These were football. The New York Yanks were a football team? Is that possible? All right. Let's see. Oh, some deaths on this day in sports. We had some big ones. November 4th. 1955, the great Cy Young passed away. And then uh, November 4th, 2010, former uh, Cincinnati Reds manager Sparky Anderson died. Wow. Um, Of course, he managed the Reds to the 75 and 76 championships, then added a third in 84. Yeah, with the Tigers uh, making him the first manager to win the World Series in both leagues. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in the year 2000. He was named American League Manager of the Year in 1984 and 1987. Oh, that's interesting. He was born in Bridgewater, South Dakota. There's a Bridgewater not too far from me. Um, All right. That's all I got, boys uh, and girls and everyone in between. Episode 190 of This Week in Sports. I'm going to go play some Call of Duty the rest of the night, probably with my boys. Um, Mosquito Coast Season 2 is back. I just started watching. If you haven't seen it on Amazon, it's pretty damn good. And I never watched Lord of the Rings. Rings of Power. I'm three episodes through. Um I'm going to try to watch some more this weekend. Um, I'm actually really liking it. Um, So there's that and whatever else is on the slate. I don't know. But uh, yeah, should be a fun weekend. Some good weather. It's been like in the 70s this week. So yeah, everything looking on the up and up. I'm excited. World Cup in like 20 days. Can't wait. I'm like Bart Scott. Can't hardly wait, baby. Can't wait. Um, So here we go. Episode 190 of This Week in Sports. I'm the Pody. Enjoy your weekend. Make sure you play that Powerball tomorrow. You could be a lucky winner. Second highest in history, $1.6 billion. We can all dream, right? Buy your tickets, buy your tickets, buy your tickets. All right. Enjoy the weekend. I'll catch everybody on the flip side next week for episode 191. The Pody is out. Deuces.